Scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew 6, 9 through 15, and James 2, 12 through 13. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. So whatever you say or do, or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others. But if you have been merciful... God will be merciful when he judges you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. So in God's wisdom uh, and grace, uh, having uh, hosting, you, you know, 50 some odd folks here last night, uh, I asked Mike Sayers to come and preach for us. Mike planted scum of the earth. Uh, church downtown. It was a church for the right-brained and the left-out, kind of a waypost on the edge of um, the kingdom of heaven, if you will, uh, the church. And so um, Mike has been in ministry in Denver for, I mean, forever, right? Like 30 years. Um, so he his office is right next to mine uh, in our shared office space in a church. He's been a super, super, really great friend, Mike been a great friend. He's been a great encouragement in this work, and um, so I'm just thrilled to have you uh, come and preach, uh, bring the word, if you will, this morning. So, uh, Mike Sayers, thank you. There's a Chinese proverb that says that before you start down the road to revenge, you need to dig two graves. And because the truth is that you don't forgive, just for the other person's benefit, but you also forgive for your benefit. Okay, yes. Okay, there we go. Okay. I think you've all undoubtedly heard the phrase, bitterness is the poison you drink hoping that somebody else is going to die. <laughs> There's a story from Renaissance Italy I'd like to tell you about Leonardo da Vinci. Just before he commenced working on his very famous painting, The Last Supper. You know, table for 26, please. Why? We're all going to sit on one side of the table. That's the idea. <laughs> that painting, okay? Um, he had a violent argument with a fellow painter. Really bad argument. And Leonardo was so upset with this guy, so angry with this guy, that he decided to paint this painter's face as the face of Judas in the Last Supper painting. So the first face that he painted of the 13 people at the table was Judas. And he kept going. And he kept going. And then... He was getting down to the last face he had to paint, which was the face of Jesus. And despite his best efforts, he just couldn't make it work to his own satisfaction. Something seemed to be baffling him about this, holding him back, frustrating his efforts. 
Finally, Leonardo came to the conclusion that he had painted the face of his enemy as Judas, and until he could forgive this guy, he would never be able to paint the face of Jesus the way he wanted to paint it. And so he painted over Judas's face, made it somebody else's face, somebody he didn't know. And then, as he forgave the guy from his heart, he was able to paint Jesus. The painting that the ages have acclaimed. I think my wife has the Last Supper on a big, giant purse. Right? I do. Yes, you do. It's my winter purse. <laughs> So the question that I have is, I mean, do you have trouble picturing the face of Jesus at any point lately? Is there a difficulty you have maybe hearing his voice? Are you struggling to see where he's working and what he's doing in life? And if the answer to that question is yes, maybe, and this is just a maybe, maybe there's somebody you need to forgive so that you can see clearly the face of Jesus. Maybe it's some family members you have to forgive. Maybe it's a mom or a dad, or children. Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe it's somebody from your past. According to the scriptures we've read today, we are in fact judging ourselves when we fail to forgive others. We just got done reading that in the Lord's Prayer and James, who to me seems a little harsh, okay? James says, whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. Doesn't that seem like it shouldn't be in the same sentence? There will be no mercy for those who have not shown mercy to others, but if you have been merciful, God will be merciful when he judges you. And I want to say to James, James, wait a minute, isn't God's forgiveness free of charge? Jesus paid it all on the cross. Aren't you asking us to earn our salvation by forgiving those who harm us? And of course, the answer is yes, God's grace is free. But sad to say, it's also devastating. When God's grace comes into our lives, it does not leave us as we were. It changes us. And one of the first changes that it makes is to give us the power to forgive those who have harmed us. By forgiving others, we are proving, really, to ourselves, to the angels, to the demons, that God has forgiven us, that we've accepted God's forgiveness, and that we're living in it. If we refuse to forgive those who have hurt us, then we're showing that we really haven't accepted God's forgiveness for ourselves. 
and thus it's removed from us. And here's the deal. When we refuse to forgive, we're allowing the sin that was committed against us to hurt us twice. Once when we were first sinned against, and then again and again by keeping us from God's forgiveness and grace. We just need to stop the pain and forgive. So, you should have a little uh, insert in your... I'm going to take a little seat here. In your, well, what's in there? Um, but uh, I think I'm going to just do this and get a little comfy. So what is forgiveness? I think sometimes the best thing to do is first go with what forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not a feeling, but an act of your will. If you don't want to forgive someone, ask God to help you to want to. Trust me, I know this one. I don't want to forgive this person, God. I know that you forgive me. Please help me to want to forgive him or her. Forgiveness is not agreeing with what was done to you. I think this is a big stumbling block for some people. They think that by forgiving someone, they're saying it was fine. It was okay. And that's not what you're doing. This is a lie. And it's a big stumbling block for people. You know that what was done to you was wrong. Forgiving somebody doesn't change the fact that it was wrong. Forgiveness is not followed by a but. As in, I forgive you, but you have to kowtow to me the rest of your life. I forgive you, but... (laughs) Here are the conditions. Very good. Absolutely. Yes. Forgiveness is not deserved. Let's make this really clear. No one deserves your forgiveness. The fact that they've hurt you actually disqualifies them from deserving anything from you. Forgiveness is not reconciliation. I mean, reconciliation is the next step, which may take a long time. Reconciliation is proof that forgiveness has finally taken place and has reached full maturity on the part of both people. This may take years. If one person has died, then that reconciliation may not take place until the afterlife. If you guys have read The Shack, then you know that he had this deal with his father and uh, it wasn't going to get taken care of until, until heaven. Forgiveness is not trust. Forgiveness is given, but trust is earned. You steal from me? I can forgive you, but I'm keeping a tight hold on my wallet whenever I'm around you. Forgiveness is not understanding why what happened to you happened. You may never understand why God would allow such a thing. Maybe in the afterlife, he will let us know. 
but we just need to trust him with whatever knowledge he chooses to bestow upon us or whatever he needs to withhold from us and just trust him as a good and loving father. That if we need to understand, we will. If we don't need to understand, we won't. We may not. A woman named Sherry Mitchell says this. I love this. She goes, think of your situation as a court case. You are both the plaintiff and the prosecuting attorney. Okay, if you've been offended, this is easy. You know you're the plaintiff. You're the one who's been wronged. And you want to be the prosecuting attorney. The person who wronged you is a defendant. You have done a phenomenal job of compiling your briefs for your day in court. You come in your best black Armani suit. Your patent leather shoes are shiny. You are confident. Everybody knows you are fierce. You wheel in the evidence, not one, not two, but three dollies are wheeled into the courtroom and kind of placed right around the judge's bench. The judge enters, calls court into session, instructs you to begin your opening arguments And then to everybody's utter amazement, you just say, Judge, all the evidence is there on your bench. You turn around and you walk out of the courtroom. Trusting that God, the judge, who is all just and all merciful, can adjudicate the case in the best way possible. That's forgiveness. You take your entire case, and God knows you have one, against the person who's offended you, and you leave it all before the judge to rule. Here's the kicker. As you walk out of that courtroom, you know that you are free to live your life because the judge is going to take care of it. You walk away unfettered. If you're struggling with unforgiveness, I beg you please today, maybe even this instant, take all of your files, all of your evidence, all your prepared speeches, and leave them at the judge's bench. He cannot act contrary to his own nature. So he'll do right by you, you can be sure. And as often as you find yourself going into that little computer in your brain where all the files are kept, right? Attempting to take a sneak peek inside. Please see yourself clicking on that file, dragging it into an email and sending it off to Jesus. And then yeah, you'll get a FaceTime from Jesus or a Zoom or a Skype and you'll see a smiling face saying, well done. Her name was 66730. At least that was the name she went by. 
Her father had died in the German concentration camp, as did her sister. Her freedom, her dignity, her humanity have been stripped away by those who imprisoned her, and yet she survived. They had robbed her of everything she ever possessed, but they could not rob her of the one who possessed her, her Lord Jesus. She saw every day in the Ravensbrook camp as a chance to minister to someone more needy than herself. And then one day she was released. It was a clerical error. As suddenly as she become a prisoner, all of a sudden she was freed. And then her solitary aim was to minister to others. When the war was over, when World War II was over, she began traveling and speaking, sharing her Savior and the vision that God had given her. And then one day something happened, something that shook her to her very center. I'm going to read you her account of what happened. Oh, and you probably wouldn't know her as 66730. You would know her more as Corey Tenboom. I was at a church service in Munich when I saw him. The former German SS soldier who had stood guard at the shower room in the, in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there, the room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing on the floor, my sister Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said, to think as you say. He has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, and I, who had preached so often to the people in Blumendahl the need to forgive, kept my hand to my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed silently, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that this world's healing hinges, but on his, upon Jesus's. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. There's a quote at the beginning of your worship guide from Corey Tenboom, and I know that's the background 
to that quote. Philip Yancey, the celebrated Christian author who lives up in Evergreen, in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, said this about forgiveness. She says, at last I understood. In the final analysis, forgiveness is an act of faith. It's an act of faith. By forgiving another, I'm trusting that God is a better justice maker than I am. By forgiving, I release my own right to get even and leave all issues of fairness for God to work out. I leave in God's hands the scales that must balance justice and mercy. Is there somebody that you need to forgive? Maybe there's someone you haven't talked to in a very long time because of what they've done. Is there someone whom you avoid like the plague that you won't sit beside? Someone for whom you just feel like spitting? Is there someone from whom you are waiting for a confession before you can offer forgiveness? You must forgive them. Your own forgiveness relies upon it. There's a principle of spiritual growth. It says that we Christians grow and grow and grow up to the point of our disobedience. At that point, we stop growing. In other words, we stop growing spiritually when we stop obeying Jesus. John and Paula Sanford were Christian counselors, some of the earliest Christian counselors that I know of, and they have steps to forgiveness from their book, Choosing Forgiveness. They're both gone now, um, as is their son, Lauren Sanford, who pastored a church here in Denver. But let's go over um, these steps to forgiveness. Number one, ask for God's help. This is pretty obvious, right? You can't do it. Ask for God's help. Honestly desire to become free of the burden of unforgiveness and prepare yourself to forgive. Number two, clarify exactly what it is you need to forgive. This is important. You have to know precisely what people have done to you so that you know exactly what you've got to forgive. It's not okay just to have this general feeling of hate. You've got to pinpoint it. Oh, yeah. It was then, five years ago. That's when my heart turned, right then. I've got to forgive him for that thing to begin with, where it started. Verbalize your feelings and your desire to forgive. In a prayer, say something like this. Say, I forgive John for... Yada, 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 yada. Be real. Expect the Lord to accomplish it as you choose to forgive. Then sit down with a wise counselor or a friend and talk it over. Like once you've done this, then, then 
tell somebody that you've done it. In a way, this makes it more real to you that you've actually done it. Someone's a witness. Oh, yeah, you told me that you forgave that person, right? In addition, your wise counselor or friend is going to give you a perspective on the issue that maybe you don't have because you're so stuck in the hurt that you don't see the bigger picture in relation to your own hurts or bitterness. Like maybe you're kind of sort of at fault too and you've never seen that, but your your good friend who knows you can point that out. If you hadn't done this first, maybe it would have turned out differently, so maybe you need to ask forgiveness for that part. Number four, get in touch with your own need for forgiveness. Like make a list of everything that Jesus has forgiven you for. I find that when I'm really stuck in unforgiveness and I don't want to forgive somebody that if I start listing the things that I know that Jesus has forgiven me for, not to mention the things I don't know that I needed forgiveness for, because that's a pretty long list, I think. I get in touch with my gratitude to Jesus. And every time those old feelings of unforgiveness return, I can just take the list out and go, oh yeah, I'm a sinner also, saved by grace. Number five, and this may be the most difficult thing, meet with the person that you need to forgive. This is only possible if the person is still alive. If the person that you need to forgive has died, then you'll just have to trust that God will work it out, and he will. When you meet with the person who is still alive, make sure it's someplace where feelings can be shared. Like, you may not want to do it in a crowded coffee shop, especially if there's going to be a lot of crying involved or screaming. Go to a a park, take a walk. Um, If the person lives across the country, then you can do a FaceTime call or a Skype call or a Zoom call and close your door so nobody else hears you. Number six, make it real. And, And this is maybe even harder than number five. Make it real. Do something to bless the person who is being forgiven. Here's the deal. Forgiveness has got to look like something. Maybe it looks like a birthday card. Maybe it looks like a Mother's Day card or a Father's Day card. Maybe it looks like a gift at Christmas time. Maybe it looks like a freshly baked plate of cookies made with sugar and not poison. Although some people consider sugar poison, I guess. Um, But forgiveness has got to look like something. Forgiveness is not a neutral act, right? That can be achieved only privately in your head and in your heart. You gotta spend yourself in love for the person who hurt you. Christ's love will set you free, but first it might make you miserable. When we begin to bless the people who have hurt us, it actually does something to change our hearts. Like, 
it's really hard to be mad at somebody you've just done something wonderful for. I, I don't know what that's about, but it's true. And, and your forgiveness, you know, your kindness being shown in some kind of practical, applicable way may be just the thing that person needs to draw him or her closer to Christ. Number seven, get ready to do it over and over and over and over again because, you know, forgiving somebody is not like cleaning a window. Like, you clean it, it's sparkly clean, you have this little meeting and you say, I forgive you for X, Y, and Z, and they say thank you and whatever, and um, then you go away, and the next time you come up to that window, it's like streaked and splotched and dirty. You're going, I thought I cleaned this window. Oh, you got to clean it again. You got to forgive them all over again. Yeah. One more time. No, I do not think so. That would be more on the reconciliation part that may not happen until the person gets some kind of perspective and help. Like I wouldn't put myself back in that position uh, to be abused like that again. But I, I, I would like to cut the, the cord that is tying me to that person, you know, and say, I forgive you, go in peace. I'm not going to hold anything against you. And, and maybe, you know, reconciliation can happen when they get a clue. But not before. So, I'm going to close by telling a story. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, there was a young man, <clears throat> I'll just, just say it this way, that I, I felt like he had hurt our daughter in a very deep way. And in kind of concentric rings, the rest of the family. And I hated this guy. I couldn't stand to see him. I would get physically nauseated when I saw him. I mean, not, I'm talking literally sick to my stomach, not, well, just, just a metaphor. And um, time went by, you know, things quieted down. I meet with a group of pastors every week. We call ourselves the preaching team. And one time, Les Avery, it's 90 some year old, well now he's 92, but he, <laughs> this old retired Presbyterian pastor, looks at me at preach him and goes, Mike, have you forgiven that guy yet? <laughs> I said, Les, listen, I'm working on it. God knows I'm working on it. Just leave it alone. And then he points his little bony finger in my face. He goes, because you know, if you don't forgive him, God's not going to forgive you. And I'm saying, bless, just back off, man. I mean, I know. I know I know the passage, right? I get it. And then the other two guys glommed on too. Yeah, Mike, you got to forgive the guy. It's about time. 
and I am getting so ticked off that I left there in a huff, got in my car, started driving down the road, pulled over the side and screamed at God going, you know I'm not ready to do this yet. Why are you letting these guys get on my back? And there was like this little tiny whisper in my head. It was like, Mike, remember when you were in sports? Remember when the coaches made you do something that you didn't think you could do? Like you had to run an extra lap. You had to do the extra reps. Remember that? And you actually could do them? It goes, these are my assistant coaches. You can do this. I was so angry about it. But I got out my phone. I called the guy right then. He didn't answer. Not surprising. <laughs> and I said, hey, we got to get together and talk. I think it's time. Three days later, he calls me back. And I tell him, look, I want to meet with you in person because I want to forgive you. And um, so he agreed to it. It was like January. No, no, it was December. It was December. But a sunny Denver December day. So we went out to this park, observatory park. And he's shivering. <laughs> I'm cold. But... I said, listen, man, I'm going to forgive you, but first I'm going to tell you what I'm forgiving you for. And I lined it out like, this is how you hurt my daughter. This is how you hurt my sons. This is how you hurt my other daughter. This is how you hurt my wife and me and how you, and the extended family here. And I mean, like, I just, I said, this is what happened. I said, uh, but I want you to know that I'm a man who's been forgiven much. And it'd be wrong for me to hold this against you. So I'm going to let it go. And then I said these exact words. I said, forgiveness has got to look like something. I understand this. He goes, Mary is way ahead of me. Okay. She's got a stocking for you up on the mantle. I mean, there's going to be a Christmas present under the tree. Um, you are welcome to come to the house at any time before this. He was banned. You can have dinner with us, whatever. I go, you're, you're, you're welcome. And, you know, and he just, he kind of didn't really say he was sorry. He kind of just justified his behavior, you know. But I let it go. First time he came over for dinner, I'm inside. I'm grumbling. Oh, I wish he wasn't here. I wish it was somebody else. And it was like I had to clean the window again. And it went on and on. And I got to tell you something. It's the weirdest thing. But in the last several years, I've actually enjoyed the guy. I make, he's a barista at a coffee shop I go into all the time. And we'll sit and we'll talk. We'll chat about this or that. And, um, you know, it was just... It just floors me that I could actually enjoy the guy. And I can tell you his good points. Yeah, but there's his good points. <laughs> <laughs> there's that. <laughs> yeah, right. So um, that's my story. 
And I'm going to close there. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for sending Jesus to forgive us of our sins so that you wouldn't hold a thing against us. Thank you for your forgiveness. Lord, help us to pass that forgiveness along to all those who offend us as we have offended you. Please mold us into the image of your son, Jesus, in whom we have life eternal and forgiveness eternal. Amen.